0: Foundation is built on solid rock. Yes, the rock of our salvation. On Solace Radio. So, you familiar with uh, when Jehoshaphat had a little with uh, he had a little war going on with uh, the Ammonites and the Moabites, and um, this is what he said because there was there was a panic. Not exactly, but I want to get to it. For a minute there, I thought I was a ventriloquist dummy. But my mouth wasn't moving. Yeah. He said, listen, all the Judah and you who live in Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, here's what Adonai is saying to you. Don't be afraid or distressed by this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. You won't even need to fight this battle. Just take your positions, Judah and Jerusalem. Stand still and watch how Adonai will deliver you. Don't be afraid or distressed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for Adonai is with you. You've got to keep reminding yourself this. All right, so we, we, we were speaking last week about these seven edict letters, royal letters, written by a sovereign, Yeshua himself, they're so important, you know, they're so short, but they're so important because we, there's nothing like it in the whole Bible. You know, these were congregations, I told you, seven literal congregations, like a congregation like ours, you know, and he's, he's writing letters to them about their condition, and um, it, obviously we can see ourselves in one or two or who knows, who knows. But, you know, last week we went over the first four. We talked about Ephesus and Pergamum. And we talked about um, Thyra, Tyra, right, and Smyrna. And they're very concise, the letters. They're very short. And they always start with, you know, uh, um, a a commendation, which is the way you want to start. If you ever look at Paul's letters, even when he was writing to whether it was a little congregation, Corinth or Colossae, he started out by telling them what they were doing good. If you start out just with bad news with somebody, it's... You know, it's hard to, ha- you know, just cr- critiquing and critiquing and critiquing and critiquing and critiquing. Nobody can handle that. So there must be something good, right? Uh, but sadly enough, um, in one of the congregations, there was nothing good. And that's unbelievable that Yeshua had nothing good to say about them. And, and this is the one we've got to watch out for. But let's pick up in Congregation 5, Sardis. And um, Sardis was a wealthy capital. What all these places have in common was they had great wealth and great affluence, just like we have today. I don't know if you're aware of this. some people say, well, I live paycheck to paycheck. Your paycheck is pretty good compared to the world. You live paycheck to paycheck, but you still live in a house. You still drive a late model car. You still have plenty of good food to eat. Yeah, you live in paycheck to paycheck, but you're paying your bills. Your bills are high, I know. The bills are high today, but you're paying your bills. They're no different than us. Very wealthy, very affluent, right? Sardis was, was a very wealthy community. It was the capital of this ancient kingdom, Lydia. It had civic structures like a theater, like we have, a stadium like we have. We have in crack, we have unbelievable stadiums, right? The new stadiums are over a billion dollars. It had a central marble road, very impressive, and multiple temples, of course, especially the monumental temple of Artemis. Obviously a very pagan land these believers were living in a very pagan land and we're going in that direction We're not there yet. We're not as pagan as they are, but it's it's definitely going in that direction Okay, and you have to realize things are going to spiral down to Yeshua touches down. So it's not going to spiral up You're not going to see this great revival and all of a sudden, you know millions of people getting saved that's going to happen in the very very last days in in Israel so it starts out with a rebuke, which is kind of strange. He doesn't, he, he gives them a commendation later, but why did he rebuke them right away? He went right into a rebuke, which, look, I read, I take my time. You might have read this a million times and not saw that, okay? I'm, I'm trying to bring it out to you to, to, it's not magic, it's right there. I'm not discovering something where I had to go to the Himalayas or something, or I had to talk to a Swami. It's just right there in black and white. But I want to point out to you, now, there's, a, there's an exit. I think it's 153 on 75, and it's called Sodus Church Road. I, I, I got to tell you, I tried to find the origin. It was either a, a devout Christian who was making fun of, of the church as it is today, or it was an antagonist to the faith. But for any church to call themselves Sardis Church, That would be like naming your kid Adolf or naming your daughter Jezebel. This was not a good congregation, okay? But see if, as I'm sharing, if maybe you can see some of the similarities today. Okay, Um, I always left in the first verse to let you know that these letters are not coming from John. They're coming directly from Yeshua himself. To the angel, now that's the pastor. That's the leader of this messianic community this church this fellowship in sardis a literal place right here is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of god only yeshua has the sevenfold spirit of god and the seven stars okay basically he's saying it's by the power of the holy spirit that he yeshua controls the churches and their messengers okay it should be okay i should say it should be okay i know what you were doing omniscience he says that every time i know what you're doing Okay, you you. you I don't mean to be, I don't mean to say this to, to cause any fear, but it, there's nothing hidden from God. I think sometimes we forget. I think when we do things behind closed doors or in our mind, we think that, well, only we can see it. Not so. I know what you are doing. You have a reputation. A lot of people have good reputations, but that not, not, it's not necessarily what they do behind closed doors. You have a, a, a reputation for being alive. You know, you have this reputation. Oh, you're, you're a strong church. But in fact, you're dead. In fact, the fact of the matter is, you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains. You know, uh, a smoldering wick you won't snuff out. There's something there. You got a pilot light that's still on, but you got to fan the flame before it dies, too. It's going out. It's going out. For I have found what you are doing incomplete in the sight of my God. There's Yeshua saying, My God. Now, you've got to understand, that's a whole other story, but Yeshua is the Messiah. He is not the Father. And he's saying before God, I don't want to get into too deep theology because this theology doesn't work with modern Western theology. But they're one, but they're different entities. But they're one. He's the Word made flesh okay for the as i said for the prior four congregations that we spoke about last week yeshua begins with a commendation which is beautiful but here yeshua quickly condemns the lifeless state of the sardinian church they had a good reputation but in reality they were dead as it is not much to figure out in these letters that's the beauty of of these letters they're very straightforward. In other words, this is, this is, in other words, the church was filled with unsaved souls just going through the motion. Now, it's, it's very easy for me to, to, I think, any pastor wants to think well of his church, they should. They really should, especially if they're there any length of time. The average stay of a pastor in Macon, Georgia is two and a half years. They should put a revolving door. Okay, I've been here 18 years, and obviously I've been here a very, very long time. You establish a culture within five years. They don't even get a chance to establish a culture. And sadly enough, um, they're, they're so controlled by the people that they're trying to please everybody, and that's impossible. It's impossible to please you, but it is possible to please God. And so that's what a leader should do. That's what you should do as leading in your family, or if you have a business that's dedicated to the Lord, just please him. You know, some people will love that, some people won't. It doesn't matter either way. Don't play to the crowd, play to a crowd of one. So, sadly enough, um, the church today and the church 100 years ago, yes, there's unsaved souls in it. It's, it's, it wasn't really set up to save souls like it is today. It, it wasn't. If you look at Yeshua's model, he sent them out to save souls. And then he would bring them in to be discipled. That was his. Now, now if it changed, it changed. I'm not aware of the change. Okay, I'm not aware that Yeshua made a change in the format or the way, the, the modus operandi of the church. I'm not aware of it. If, if, if you could tell me somebody, some man of God who had the authority under Yeshua to change it, then I'll, I'll defer. But I don't think that's the way it was. You know, Yeshua didn't bring unsaved souls into the temple, seek a friendlies to try to get them saved. That was, the, you know, that's too hard to do. What are we supposed to do? Just sit here and wait for them to show up? Any unsaved souls show up today? No, oh well. No, you got to go out in the streets. That's what the disciples did. That's the method. That's always been the method, to connect with people. So he gives them a solution, very simple. The next verse, the first part of that verse, he says, so remember what you received, and heard, and obey it, and turn from your sin. It's the same message in every single solitary letter. Repent. It sounds like an ugly word. It sounds like a very religious word. but, but it, it's really not. He's saying, remember that you have this lifeless profession. You have this profession. You made a profession with your lips, no question. You know, you walked up, you made a profession, but look at your life. It doesn't match up. Not like you're living in some hellish situation, not necessarily, but it's kind of all you got is a profession. There's, look at the fruit or lack thereof. So they needed to pursue the holiness that flows from grace. Grace and holiness is not separate. Grace produces holiness. Holiness is the evidence that you understand the grace of God and that you have the grace of God in your life. Then he gives a warning, kind of a strict warning. He says, for if you don't, like This is what you need to do. And you don't need to do this like some people say, well, I'll just take care of that next week. He's saying immediately, if not sooner. If you don't wake up, I will come like a thief. And you don't know what moment I'm coming. So I just want to highlight that word for a moment. Wake up, of course, in the Greek, because it's the New Testament, Gregor, UO, which is where my name comes from. Gregory means to be vigilant means to watch, but there's a metaphor here. It's used metaphorically. To give strict attention to, to take heed lest through insolence, which insolence is slothfulness. You know the sloth, like the slowest moving animal? That's what they were. They were very slothful. Now listen to me. I'm not insinuating that any of you are not born again. But I would venture to guess that some of you had a flaming, burning light at one point in your walk. And now it's a smoldering wick. And that happens. It, sometimes it happens just because you're tired. You've, you've preached the gospel and preached the gospel, and nobody, I don't have a lot. of I mean, yeah, there were a couple of times in India where a couple of hundred people came at one time. It was very exciting to see two or 300 people come to the fold. But in America, have I had a great uh, batting average? No. I've planted seeds all over. I don't know if those seeds germinated. I don't know. But, but if I led a ton of people to the Lord, no. Have I tried? Wow. And do I get tired of trying? Am I at a point right now where I'm like, you know what? They're not even listening anymore. So I'll just go into my own private Idaho. Yes, that could happen. Yes, it happens without a doubt. So through some insolence, some destructive calamity, suddenly overtake you. So the command to wake up is a reminder. Now, Yeshua was more brilliant than we realize, I think. He, obviously, he spoke very simplistically. He didn't use any words in Hebrew that caused more than three syllables. He spoke simple so that the Amharets, the commoners, could understand him. But let me tell you what a direct hit this is, okay? Sardis was captured twice in its history. They were captured in 547 B.C. by Cyrus II and 214 B.C. by Antiochus III. The reason why they were captured is because their watchmen on the walls failed to detect the enemy sneaking up. Because they were so proud of themselves that they had this army, and supposedly they had these impregnable cliffs and walls, that they fell asleep. i got to be honest with you, our security team here, I tell them all the time, stop jerking around. Stop talking to your friends with your back to me. Like, because if you got your back to the entrance, that's really messed up. When I did security, I didn't talk to nobody. Nobody. Nope. And when I was in the gym training a client, when I was doing personal training, I never took a phone call. It was their time. I wouldn't go, hey, do you mind if I take this? Because what do they say? No, not at all. Do they mind? Yes. Should they mind? Yes. Yes. So they were like, we got this. You know, we're impregnable. And they fell asleep, and they got attacked, and they got taken. So when he was saying, wake up, they knew. You know what I mean? They knew what he was talking about. It's a much bigger point to them than it is to you. So it means to start paying attention to their need of salvation and to stop being careless about their heart's condition before God. For if you don't wake up, he says, I will discipline you. He's not just the beatnik playing songs in a coffee shop that we think or that we tend to believe today. You know, I see Yeshua is my homeboy. I see that on a hat. No, Yeshua is the Messiah. Okay, the only begotten son of God. Take that hat off. God is dope. No, you're a dope. God is the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe. He should cause you to hit the ground and bow before him. I don't need any cool street vernacular. I don't need what's hip. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Sadly enough... Sadly enough, a dead church is usually unrepentant of its deadness because they are clueless to their deathlessness. There's a pride. They don't even see it. And that's, you know, when somebody's on fire, obviously God uses them. Where they're cold, God could change them. But where those mix, it's very dangerous Gray is very, very dangerous. There's no gray in the whole Bible. There's there's only two categories in every situation. There's sand, and there's rock. There's narrow, and there's wide. There's sheep, and there's goat. I mean, the whole Bible, it's uncanny. You know, it's uncanny. I saw that when I first started reading it back in in the, you know, 89. I saw, wow, God is making it so obvious to us that there's two roads you can choose, two ways to go, two gods you can serve. It's just amazingly beautiful and simplistic how he didn't give us too many choices. Then he gives a commendation. It's a rebuke, strong rebuke against them because they're slothful and probably a fair amount of unsaved. They made a profession, that was it. He says, nevertheless... You know, based on this, nevertheless, you do have a few people, a few, not many, a few, in Sardis, who have not soiled their clothes, and they will walk with me, clothed in white, because they are worthy. He's talking about when he comes. Okay, he's talking about when he's coming. Yeshua is commending this faithful remnant. There always is a faithful remnant. From the first century to today, there's a faithful remnant. They have remained undefiled. Many were soiled by the sins of fornication, adultery, and idolatry, but there was a remnant in soreness that were counted as worthy. In other words, the profession of faith in their mouths matched the reality of faith in their hearts and produced a walk of obedience and righteousness. They were only speaking from their heart, and they were proving it by how they conducted their life. The message for Sardis and for us is simple. God wants our behavior and our beliefs to match up with each other. He doesn't just want creed, he also wants character. We have to be careful of the high talk, low walk syndrome that is so prevalent today. You have to be born again. Just attending church will not turn you into a believer. Any more than sitting in your garage will turn you into an automobile. The sixth congregation was called Philadelphia, also in Asia Minor. And Philadelphia was a city on this Imperial Post Road, a very, very important trade route where there's a lot of trade going on, where there's a lot of commerce, there's a lot of money, where there's a lot of money, there's a lot of wealth, where there's a lot of wealth, there's a lot of stuff. Right? There's a, there's a difference between Las Vegas and Thomaston. It lies in a fertile soil, especially suited for growing wine grapes. Very fertile. Inscriptions mention the worship of Zeus and Hestia, and the Roman imperial cult was present. Again, money, stadiums, the works. Okay? He gives them a very strong commendation. He says to the angel of the messianic community, to the pastor, to the leader of this congregation in Philadelphia, right? Here is the message of HaKodesh, the true one, the one who has the key of David, who if he opens something, no one else can shut it. And if he closes something, no one else can open it. This is a direct hit from Isaiah 22. This speaks of the Messiah. If Messiah opens a door, there's nothing no one can do to shut it. And if he shuts a door, there's nothing no one can do to open it. So again, I just want you to see that this is a letter from Yeshua himself, okay? He says, I know what you are doing. He says it to every single congregation. Obviously, then he must know what we're doing too at Beth Yeshua, right? Look, I have put in front of you an open door. No one can shut it. I know that you have but little power, yet you have obeyed my message and have not disowned me. This is um, obviously, I said before, an Old Testament allusion to the absolute sovereignty of God. And although the congregation didn't have much power, meaning they probably were a bunch of nobodies, few in number, who had no influence, no royal line, you know, they were just laughed at, a laughingstock. Look at, these, look at these imbeciles. They're untrained, unschooled, uneducated. But although they didn't have much power or influence, the saints had been faithful in the face of trials. Again, all these people are being persecuted. This is the first century. Everybody is being persecuted. It's not like we are today. We're sitting on these beautiful, comfortable chairs. There's air conditioning. When you leave here, you're gonna get in your car and go to a nice restaurant. Okay, I'm not saying that you should be persecuted, but I'm just saying, can you please appreciate those who were? And can you at least realize that it might happen again? Maybe not in our lifetime, maybe so. I don't know, but it will happen again. Where it started is gonna be where it's finished. They were zealous. They were zealous for good works. And as a result, they had been able to preserve the truth by living it out in their lives. They would not and could not deny Messiah's name. It goes on, Revelation 3.9. It says here, I will give you some from the synagogue of the adversary. Okay? The synagogue of Satan, as some of your versions say. A Jewish people who didn't believe in Messiah. I know people are very enamored with Jewish people. But um, if they don't believe in Messiah, they're not in a good, um, a good condition, if you ask me. Uh, I was one of them, so I know for a fact. Those who call themselves Jews but aren't. So who is the real Jew? I got news for you. The Messianic Jews are the remnant, not the orthodoxy. On the contrary, they are, li- and I, I love the orthodoxy. I was once an orthodox Jew. On the contrary, they are lying. See, I will cause them to come and prostrate themselves at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you. Wow. See, right now, we're the tail, right? Yeah. You might think, no, no, this is cool. No, it's not cool. Messianic Judaism is not cool. Okay, we're the tail. Trust me. Trust me. The church thinks we're whacked, but at least we love Jesus. The synagogue thinks we're totally whacked because we love Jesus. But one day, we're going to be the head. I, I, I know it. One day, we're going to be the ones that 10 Gentiles grab the hem of one Messianic Jew and say, I know God is with you. And this is what's happening. There's a shift going on right now as we speak. More and more Gentiles are realizing there's some merit to this. There's some legitimacy to this, that a lot of these things have been man-made. The only ones that can't see it are the ones that refuse to see it. It's abject denial because you can't refute the scriptures. But traditions are so strong and family ties are so strong I understand the pressure of it. I'm not pointing fingers, but one day they're going to see it. They're going to see it, yeah. Um, Yeshua goes on to tell them here in this verse that those who are persecuted and those who are persecuting them will one day realize that these despised Messianic Jews are actually loved by Yeshua, and they will bow at their feet. Of course, in every letter there was a rebuke. Let's look at their rebuke. None. None. Who else didn't get a rebuke? Remember from last week? Smyrna. Smyrna got no rebuke, and Philadelphia got no rebuke. Now, last but not least, Lae, and it's Laodicea. It's not important, but it's not Laodicea, it's Laodicea. They were a very wealthy, again, industrious city. I'm not saying that wealth is bad. I'm just saying it's not good. I'm saying it will cloud you. I don't care who you are, it will cloud you. And the more you have, the more you need, the more you'll go for it. There's no way around it. You think it's not, because that's also, these people thought they were saved. Laodicea was a wealthy, industrious city in the province of Pergia. Now, again, this is, again, Yeshua is just off the charts to me. They were damaged by an earthquake in 60 AD. But self-sufficient Laodicea, being a commercial center and the site for a thriving medical and textile industries, declined the imperial's disaster relief. So the imperial offered them relief, and they said, we're good. You follow? So you'll see, and remember he said, get some ISAV. I just told you, they produced ISAV in Laodicea. So when he was saying this, you go, ISAV, what does that have to do with me? They knew exactly what it had to do. You can apply it, it's applicable, but it was a direct hit to them. The city did not see itself as poor, blind, or naked. The city had two theaters, not one, two We used to have two theaters in Macon, right? Then we replaced one theater for a gym. They had a gymnasium. They had a bathhouse. you got to have a bathhouse, you know? The wealthy love saunas and steams and all that. Nothing too good for them. A stadium, and they were famous for their worship of Zeus. Now, they got a commendation, right? Let's take a look. Hmm, none. Wow. So Sardis got hit with a rebuke from the gate. Laodicea doesn't even get a commendation. There's nothing. Not even a remnant. Not even a smoldering wick. Nothing? How could that be? You are a professed Christian church. How could there be nobody? Now, in contrast to the other six churches, the Laodicean church has nothing to be commended for. So... Yeshua begins his message to them with condemnation. Let's take a look. To the angel of the messianic community in Laodicea write, here is the message from the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Again, making a reference to himself, Yeshua. This is from Yeshua. I know I keep repeating myself, but I just want you to see that every single letter was written directly by him. I know what you are doing. Same profile. Okay. You are neither hot nor cold. I'm sorry, you are neither cold nor hot. How I wish, isn't that, it's almost frightfully said. You know, you made a profession, you're telling people you're a Christian. How I wish you were either one or the other. He wishes they were cold. Something. Give me something. So, because you were lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And there's an exclamation point. I'm not reading it with the proper grammar intensity, but you see there's an exclamation point there. So he's not saying it's Shakespearean. He's saying, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. For you keep saying, I am rich. I have gotten rich. I don't need a thing. I got this. You don't know that you are the one who is wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Everybody knows about this congregation. Everybody. Everybody's heard the term, any any, any believer or so-called believer knows the term lukewarm. We're, very, we're all too familiar with it. Yeshua emphasizes their lukewarm, apathetic nature three times. Three is a magical number when it comes to the Lord. You know, it's a, it's a number for divine perfection. They were spiritually blind, bankrupt, and naked. And the church was characterized by pride. Ignorance, that doesn't mean um, that they were intellectually stunted. In fact, they were probably brilliant. They are probably highly educated, like a lot of people. Ignorance just means that you choose to ignore the truth. Self-sufficiency and complacency. Their pride was, we got this. Does that sound familiar today? I can't begin to tell you how many times I hear somebody say, I got this, or somebody's saying to somebody, you got this, or we got this. It's, it's a term that's so popular today, you know? Ignorance, whatever. Does that sound familiar? Some of you older folks might not know it, but ask some of the younger folks. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Self-sufficiency, we're good. How many times you hear that? You're good. Hey, man, sorry, you're good. And then complacency, it's all good. Think about it, guys. I know I did. We got this, whatever, we're good, it's all good. Those terms perfectly characterize the congregation at Laodicea. As a result of their ambivalence to spiritual things, Yeshua would have nothing to do with them. He would spit them out of his mouth. Now check this out. Laodicea was ten miles west of Colosse, and three miles southeast of Hierapolis. They were known. They were known. Hierapolis was known for their hot springs. They had these hot springs there. Colosse was on the Lycos River, and it was very cold water. So the hot springs from Hierapolis. And the cold waters from the Lycus River came together in Laodicea. So when hot springs meet cold water from the river in Laodicea, what do you think happened? Yes, the water would become tepid or lukewarm. So they would have these aqueducts, underground aqueducts, bringing the water to the city. And I don't know if you've ever, like, left water in your car. On a hot day, and it became kind of warm, and you drink it, and what do you do with it? Immediately spit it out. Look at what Yeshua is saying. He's saying, You guys know this all too well because you have to deal with this all the time, and you're constantly spitting water out of your mouth because it disgusts you. You disgust me. You declare my name, you tell people about me, you dance around and sing like you know me and you disgust me. If the person is spiritually cold, metaphorically speaking, they're asleep, they're dead, they're inactive and unresponsive. The good news is the Lord can revive someone like that and end up using them for his glory. If the person is spiritually hot, then they're zealous, enthusiastic, fanatical yet, and passionate, and the Lord obviously can use them for his glory. Here's the solution. I think Yeshua is, I don't think, unbelievable to me. He could have easily wrote them off and said, I'm done with you and your nonsensical profession. But no, not him. We we write people off, right? We do it all the time because we're we, but not he. My advice to you is to buy gold To buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white clothing, so that you may be dressed and not have to be ashamed of your nakedness. And I salve, there it is, to rub on your eyes so that you may see. So again, the solution is the same as it's always been in all the other letters, to repent. Their material wealth had no eternal benefit for them. So Yeshua commands them to get some genuine faith, which is the gold. That's the genuine faith shown by acts of practical righteousness, that's the white clothing, and gain true spiritual vision, that's the ISAF, through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. The counsel by him was incredibly appropriate, since Laodicea was known as the center for banking. There's the money, the gold. They were known for textiles. There's the clothing. And they were known for medicines, especially ISAF. Isn't that unbelievable? Think about what a direct hit that is. So. It's not as directly hitting any of us or anybody watching or maybe anybody in other congregations because they always think that's somebody else. Not necessarily. Now, you might not be causing Yeshua to vomit, but you still might not be as strong as maybe your profession says. That's a possibility. And again, I'm only pointing my finger at myself this is my walk between me and God. Now, I understand that there's a lot of you know, hopeless situations in the world, and the last thing you want to do is, is hear this. I, not only am I obligated to preach the word of God, I find it a distinct honor and a privilege. I don't have anything else to preach except the word of God. I don't want to just give you a rah-rah-sis-boom-bon, have you leave with false hope, OK? I tell you, I relate it back to, I remember, in my days of doing martial arts, forgive me, this is, this is just forgive me, but it wasn't about belts and competitions. In, in the school I went to, it was very scary. It was the Shawshank Redemption. There were guys in there who were ex-Marines. There was cops, there was bouncers. Uh, I'm sad to say there was a pimp. These were guys who were fighting all day long, all the time, and they needed something that was gonna work. Now, we don't necessarily need that, per se. But when you take a girl, and you're teaching her an anti-rape uh, technique, and you go, grab my arm. No, grab my other arm. Now, take a step forward. A 250-pound guy on crack is not going to treat her that way. So it becomes a false sense of security. Now, are there great things to learn about discipline? And the? Yes, it's not all about that, but I'm just saying, if, if you want this girl not to get attacked, then she's got to be able to fight like a fighter, okay? So I don't want to just, look, we do have, I think we do have hope here. And, and l- let me show you why in the next two verses, okay? This, this should be, and this is to a congregation, this is not to you. I don't believe we're Laodicean. I don't believe that. I don't believe the things we're doing doesn't show that we don't have white clothing. I don't, how's this? You might say, well, Rabbi, I'm just giving some money and, 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 and Beth Yeshua is sending it out. Look at what some of you are doing with your families. Tomorrow's Father's Day. Do you understand that, that America now is like 80% fatherless? Even some dads that are there aren't there. Now, I know some of you might say, God, I was niff my kids. Listen, you're going to have to learn to put the past in the past if you repented. Otherwise, you're going to be a very miserable soul for the kingdom. I can't do anything about the past. I can't do anything about the fact that I didn't know Yeshua until I was 30. But I don't sit around going, God, I wish I knew him when I was 18. I'm just happy I know him. I don't care who, who, you know, you could be very late to the party as long as you get to the party. That's what's important. Remember the last laborer? He got paid the same wage. People were like, it's not fair. And Yeshua said, don't you tell me what's fair. I divvy out the rewards, not you. So let the past in the past. Right, a lot of you maybe didn't marry a believer. A lot of you maybe you didn't raise your kids. and think, Look, just it's never too late. This is what this is saying. And he's saying this to the worst of them. There's no commendation. Some of you are so guilt-ridden, like myself, where you go, is there any commendation for me, Yeshua? Or am I just going through the motions? You don't think I say that? You don't think daily I question why I do what I do? You don't think as I'm getting like towards the tail end of my ministry as far as I see it for this stage that I don't say, am I just a professional now? And the best way I know how, the best litmus test I know for myself, and maybe this will apply to you, is that when I go to a funeral and I'm hysterically crying, I know I'm the furthest thing from a professional. If you could not cry over somebody's woes, you have become a lukewarm believer. Forget about everything else, forget about worshiping on Saturday, forget about eating certain foods, forget forget about it all. That's when you're in trouble, pal. It's called dry-eyed Christianity, and it's a pandemic. He says, as for me, this, this is Yeshua, he's saying, as I just told you your issue. He goes, as for me, this is Yeshua speaking, I rebuke and discipline everyone I love. So if you, if you don't feel rebuked and disciplined, that's the issue. I mean, I hate to turn this around, but it's like, it's almost like, has he given up on you? or Have you given up on him? so exert yourselves turn from your sins exclamation point same old same old here look I'm right here he's saying I'm right here I'm not far away you don't have to travel you just have to turn your mindset you just gotta turn your mind to say okay I'm struggling in this area I want to change and turn and face him he's right there it's not like you've got to do this and that and not do this and that, and then maybe he'll show. He's right there. He says, I'm standing at the door knocking. No battering ram, no hitting somebody over the head with the Bible. Knocking, just knocking at the door. Now, what door is this? Is this the door of the church? Now, many people, I'm sure you've been in the church way longer than I. I haven't really been in the church, per se. Um... So I don't know from it, but as far as I can see, I've heard many a pastor, many a man of God, many an evangelist use this for evangelistic purposes. Now, you might want to do that applicably, but that is not the interpretation of this. It is not. This is not a call to get saved. This is a call for the church to wake up. And it is not more applicable now than it's ever been. If someone hears my voice and opens the door of their heart, I will, how, I will come into him. I won't say, hmm, I don't like that room, or you've now to clean this up. I will come, all you've got to do is open. And I come in. Do you, do you believe this? You're not going to get this from anybody. You're not going to get this from any earthly boss. If, if, a, if an employee did what the Laodiceans were doing, for the kingdom, if an employee did that to an employer, fired instantly. And, and do not call me for recommendation because you won't get the next job. Look at what Yeshua is saying. I will come in and I will sit with you. I will fellowship. We will have intimate fellowship. We will have conversation. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to heal you. I'm here to deliver you, not to condemn you. And this was to the worst of them. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Who would want to eat with somebody like this? So like a loving father, Messiah will reprove those whom he loves, calling them to repent before he intervenes in judgment. But know if they don't, judgment is coming. Don't be hoodwinked. It'd be a terrible thing to think that you're there and you've arrived and then judgment comes just because you made a profession. That would be horrible. If he didn't care, he wouldn't bother he is not seen here as some homeless transient seeking shelter. No, but is the master of the house expecting alert servants to respond immediately and welcome his entrance. I see this personally, and I don't. you know me by now, I don't give a lot of personal how I see things because it's not important. But in, in this regard, I want to share with you that I see this as a picture of Messiah at the end of the age. No longer dealing with the masses of people but inviting individuals to leave the apostate or backslidden church in order to have fellowship with them. Now I say church, I don't mean a church to join the messianic community. The church is the body of Messiah. There's backslidden, plenty of backslidden people in the messianic movement. Trust me, I know them. They don't think I know. I see. I can't tell. Listen, I can't tell when I sometimes go to conferences, I can't tell the difference between them and the world. They're dressing worldly, acting worldly, talking worldly, going worldly. Just because you know how to say Yeshua HaMashiach in Hebrew is not going to impress him. Although people in the last days today will still get saved, I'm not saying they won't. It's not so much a call to evangelism, but it's a knock on the door of the heart of the church, one member at a time. The message is a contemporary one for us today. The church at Laodicea had become apathetic in their love for Messiah. They were, allowing, they were allowing the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things to come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Literally, wealth and the world was choking them out and say tap out, and they didn't. Therefore, the message is they were caught in a trap, And no one, and I mean no one, is exempt. Now, I know it's late because some of you didn't arrive on time. And I want to vicariously apologize on your behalf. But I just want to go something through real quick, and then we're done with this, okay? Tolerance and relativism. Let me read something to you. Should a believer be tolerant of other people's religious beliefs? I just sat with a guy yesterday, a great guy, and I love him, but he is considers himself a Christian and absolutely believes that there's this God up there and that everybody has a different way to get to that God. It was unbelievable, okay? And it's like, where do I go from here? Like, And he was so strong about it. I mean, he was saying to me in his conviction, like, nothing you say is going to change that, okay? Because you're nuts, meaning me. Now, I'll give them. I'm nuts. So should a believer be tolerant to other people's religious beliefs? We are living in an age of tolerance where moral relativism is touted as the supreme virtue. In other words, the more tolerant you are, the more special you are. Every philosophy, idea, and faith system has equal merit, says the relativist, and is worthy of equal respect, right? Now, again, I have to say this, some of you are in a bubble. You've been raised in Macon, you live in Macon, right? There's, every, every block you go, there's a church on Sunday, the, all the parking lots are pretty full, right? Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. You're in a bubble. And when you feel like you're, you're, you're okay, you're the one that's saying, we're good. The church needs to repent, not the world, Those who favor one faith system over another, or even worse, claim a knowledge of absolute truth, today are considered narrow-minded, unenlightened, and bigoted. Bigoted. You're a bigot. You're a religious bigot. Of course, different religions make mutually exclusive claims, and the relativist is unable to logically reconcile outright contradictions. For example... The Bible makes the claim that man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, while some Eastern religions teach reincarnation. I got saved in Israel. Bernadette and I were on our way to Greece. We met a couple, this devout Christian that was going to Greece on a, a pilgrimage, young guy from Napa Valley and his wife, and I told him about my salvation experience. He was out of his mind. And then I told him about reincarnation. I didn't read the Bible yet, and that's what I believed. You follow? I knew I met him. I knew he was the messiah but my profession was one thing but I had to learn the truth. The profession didn't cut it and he goes reincarnation and I looked at him like seriously? You don't believe that? So 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 do we die once or many times? Both teachings cannot be true. They just can't be. The relativist essentially redefines truth. They're very brilliant in order to create a paradoxical world where multiple contradictory truths can coexist. They're all inclusive in their philosophies. You sound like an unintelligent imbecile when you say there's only one way. I know you feel very strong about it. They're looking at you like you're an uneducated, bigoted moron. Now, when you're with your friends, which is 90% of the time praising Jesus, it works. But let me take you to Seattle or LA or New York or Miami. Let me put you on the street with some of these people and see how you do. The believer has accepted truth in a person. If he truly believes in the resurrection, how can he be open-minded concerning an unbeliever's assertion that Yeshua never rose again? For a believer to deny the clear teaching of God's word would indeed be a betrayal of God. There are some fundamental truths in the faith that are absolutely non-negotiable. Now hear me. I've been out there. I'm not out there as much lately because I just don't have the strength as much. I know you think I'm superhuman. I'm the furthest thing. I'm getting tired of sharing the gospel because so few people are listening. Just because I can't change them doesn't mean that I have to let them change me. Know that. Stay firm in what you know to be true, especially in these last days where there's going to be an all-out assault on your faith. Two, something called apatheism. Now, many people don't even know this term. They think of apathy, but they don't realize there's apatheists out there. Okay? Different than a deist, a theist. We are theists. We believe in one God who's actively involved in us. Different than an atheist, an apatheist. Okay? It's a little term. Apatheism is a modern word describing a particular view of God and spiritual issues. The primary concept involves apathy, the state of being disinterested, or having little concern about something. An apatheist is one who thinks topics such as God and religion are irrelevant, meaningless, or disinteresting. Now, that does not describe anybody here. The term apatheism refers more to an... But, but let me say this. Okay, thanks. You can take God out of his first-place position, and then your job becomes first place, or sports become... A, that's more insidious yeah. Because, again, you think, no, no, we got this. I'm, I'm good with God. I love God. The apotheist is one who thinks topics such as God and religion are irrelevant. The term apotheism refers more to an attitude than to any actual set of beliefs. That's why it's so insidious. Belief in a single active deity is called theism. The idea of a single unactive deity is called deism. There's deists, like George, uh, Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. He cut things out of his Bible. The founding fathers weren't all that they were cracked up to be, trust me. When a person positively says there is no God, that is atheism. And when a person says, I'm not sure if I believe in God, that's agnosticism. But when a person just doesn't care one way or the other, that's apatheism. Very few people will label themselves apatheist As an attitude and not a religious view, apatheism can even show up in those who claim to belong to the faith. The person who says, I'm a Christian, but whose life is totally inconsistent with biblical standards and gives no thought to God in their daily life is an apatheist. Many in our Western culture are apatheists. Most people are not actively opposed to God or confidently rejecting him. They're just numb. Just numb. Last but not least, political correctness. Of course, we know this term all too well. Political correctness is defined as a term that describes language. Ideas, policies, behavior seen to minimize social and institutional offense in occupation, gender, race, culture, sexual orientation, religious beliefs, disabilities, and age related context. Do you believe where it's gotten us? So basically don't say anything. The only way you're gonna seen as politically correct is if you're tolerant and relative, if you're a tolerant relative apatheist. You can't win. It used to be just a couple of categories. Now it's everything and anything. Yeah. Everything and anything. It's go so crazy. It's such a crazy world that we live in now. The key word is offense. The truth is off faith itself is offensive. And it's just as offensive today as no one likes to be told there's nothing they could do to earn their place in heaven. That's what they hate. They don't hate that Jesus might be the only way. They hate to think that they're helpless. In getting to heaven that they've got to humble themselves not their wealth not their stuff not their prowess not their intellect that they've got to lay down and cry out to God to be saved that they can't handle correctness in the secular political realm is not the concern of the believer because our citizenship is in heaven now what did Yeshua say and we'll end with this I told you tolerance is what Hang in there. I know some of you are like, oh, my God, I want to go. She can do what? <laughs> she can feed your big fat gut because you got to run to Walmart and pick something up. If we can't get the dang church to listen, who, we, there's no hope. Used to be an hour and a half message, then an hour and 15, then it went to 45 minutes. Now it's 26 three-point crap. And that's what people want. Listen, just tell me a quick little message. Tell me the parable of the sowers. i got to keep my heart soft. Tell me a 20-minute message so I can go home and watch TV for three hours. So I can go on social media for three hours. So I can work 15 hours at my job to get ahead, because Lord knows that's going to impress Jesus. Stop it already. Cut the crap. Tolerance teaches permissiveness and open-mindedness and wide thinking. This is what Yeshua said. Go through the narrow gate, for the gate that leads to destruction is wide. Listen to me now. Some of you are very ambivalent. You're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, just because you're a nice person. Nobody would have ever called Yeshua nice. Nice is just a person who wants to be accepted by everybody. I don't want to be nice. It leads to destruction and it's wide. That's the problem, it's wide. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in New York, but when you're walking down Fifth Avenue, it's 15 across. And if you wanna walk the other way, it ain't happening because you just go with the flow. Most of you don't know what that's like. You didn't live in a city. You know, you walk on a country road, you know, and it's like you walk any direction you want. No, you go with the flow, otherwise you're gonna get So that's what he's saying. This road is wide that reads the destruction. And people are just going there and you're going along with them. Come on, let's go. And many will travel it. That's the problem. The masses. This is not what I'm saying. But it's a narrow gate and a hard road. Make no mistake. Is it easy? Guys, oh, come on. It is hard to be a believer. I tell people this all the time. All the time. I've done a lot of things and I've accomplished a lot of great goals Which caused a lot of intensity on my part and a lot of hard work This is the hardest thing I've ever done and nothing comes close and nothing comes close I could wake up 4 o'clock in the morning and swim back in the day I can come home from work and then ride a bike 46 miles I could run at 10 o'clock at night and I could do that six days a week but to follow Yeshua's act A lot of times I just feel like an absolute failure. I don't know if that's Satan. I don't know if it's true. I don't know. The way to eternal life is narrow and it is through Yeshua alone. Though the way is hard, those who choose that way are seeking seeking approval from God, not man. Ultimately, if they seek approval by man, it will lead to eternal punishment and separation from God. Relativism, we said it's the theory that Truths are not absolute. What did Yeshua say? Yeshua said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeshua, as the incarnate word of God, is the source of all truth, and he reveals the only true God. Apathyism: one who lacks passion, they're indifferent. What did he say? We read it earlier. Revelation 3, you need the hot, no cold. Metaphorically, it speaks to the condition of the soul. PC, the ideology not to offend anybody. Okay, what did he say? You hypocrites. He's speaking to the church of his day. Yeshiyahu, Isaiah was right. What he prophesied about you. He said this about you. He said 750 years ago, he was talking to you. Not you. He's, I'm saying Yeshua is talking to... He said, He said, these people honor me with their lips. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus Lord. But their hearts are far... Their profession and their heart don't line up. They worship me is useless. They sing it's useless. Because they teach man-made rules as if they were doctrines. That was his issue. With the church, that was his issue. And if you if you follow the story, look at the twelfth verse. This is priceless. The Talmudin came to him and said, Do you know that the Parishim were offended by what you said? Why did they do that? Because they had to live with these guys. They don't want, they're like, look, just sit with us. Listen, this is priceless. Basically what they were saying was, look, we sit under a tree, you teach us, you're our rabbi, we like you, we love this teaching, we like our little group. Don't don't put it out there. You're going to get them angry and they're going to take it out on us. What do we do? We're in the church, we sing songs, we hear a message. Don't put it out there. Leave it alone. You're going to offend them, you're going to get people upset. They're not going to like you. Just keep it in the church. Listen to me. The devil doesn't care if another church is raised in Macon. I don't know what you think he does. Oh, yeah, we're going to sing. We're going to upset him. He doesn't care if you sing. Just sing inside the church. He doesn't care if you do Bible study. Just do Bible study inside the church. He doesn't care if you have an altar call. Just do an altar call inside the church. Just keep it inside the walls. Don't let it get out and that's what they were saying now once he resurrected then the gloves were off they're like okay we'll die for you but they didn't see him resurrect yet and we didn't see him resurrect blessed are you who have not seen yet believe so they're saying shh now what does he say he says you're right right next couple of verses you're right I know I offended them. They're good men. They're religious men. I was a little too coarse. So I will apologize or I will stop. No, basically what he says to them is, hey, guys, wait till I get to Matthew 23. If you think they're offended now, he tells them, these were the pastors. You're going to hell. Gehenom, the Valley of Hinnom, where they burn the garbage. And it never goes out. That's what he told him. Now, here's my question Can incarnate love speak such scathing words? Not today. In our Western society, you no. Know, Jesus would never tell somebody they're going to hell, especially not a man of God. Yes, incarnate love can speak scathing words because true love must also be righteous and holy. The popular conception of Yeshua is an innocuous reformer capable of no emotion but love. It's unbiblical. Love can be firm, and love must always be just. Whatever interpretation we take of the book of Revelation, it is undeniable that the church of Laodicea presents a vivid picture of the age in which we live. She was tolerant, relative, apathetic, and politically correct. This is what we have today. Luxury living abounds on every hand while souls are dying for want of the gospel. Christians are wearing crowns instead of bearing a cross. We become more emotionally stirred over sports, politics, or television than we are over Messiah. There is little sense of spiritual need, little longing for true revival. We give the best of our lives to the business world, then return our remnants of a wasted career to the Savior. We cater to our bodies, which in a few years will be returned to the dust. We accumulate treasures on earth instead of in heaven. The general attitude is nothing too good for the people of God. If I don't pamper myself, who will? Let's get ahead in the world and give our spare evenings to the Lord. This is the condition we find ourselves on the eve of Yeshua's return. But we don't have to. We could change in an instant. If we were a certain way, we can go back to that way instantly. We don't have to be Laodiceans or Sardinians or Ephesians or Pergamons or fire tyrants. No. You know what we can be? Smyrndelphians Yes, according to your rabbi We can be (laughs) Delphians. Rabbi, how would you describe a Smyrndelphian? I'm glad you asked A Smyrndelphian is one who is willing to suffer On behalf of Messiah To outward appearances They may look poverty stricken and weak but as far as spiritual things goes and concern, they're rich. Why? Simply because they remain faithful. In their their human weakness, they trust in the Lord and they will not deny Yeshua's name because they love him so much. They are zealous for good works, always looking to reflect God's character and goodness to the world. Works of righteousness is commonplace, like helping the poor, the widow, the orphan, lifting up the downtrodden, remembering those in prison, and setting captives free by way of sharing the good news of salvation. This is the Smyrndelphian. faithful witnesses, always looking to be and stay revived. Their reward is that they receive the crown of victory. They are exempt from the second death because they would rather go to heaven with a good conscience than stay on earth with a bad one. They are made to be a pillar in the house of the Lord, which means they shall never leave the place of safety and joy. Oh, one last thing. Yeshua says he will write the name of God on them, the name of the new Jerusalem on them, and his own name on them. The Delphians are his for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, please not let us apologize for Yeshua. In the immortal words of Yeshua himself, how blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. We should not and cannot be ashamed if we have been clothed in the garments of salvation, wearing the robes of righteousness, all made possible by the amazing grace of God. I pray that we all finish this thing strong. Let's stand together. I know it's Father's Day tomorrow. I, I wish you guys well. I know a lot of times you don't get the accolade that you deserve. You know, moms birth the baby, nurse the baby, and you know there for most of the time. So you know, moms, Mother's Day. You know, it took a lot, a long time for us to identify Father's Day. It took years and years and years. But um, fathers get a bad rap, you know. And I think some fathers, like they're trying so hard, especially believing fathers, they're trying so hard that they're exhausted because they think they have to be there all the time and and Listen, don't worry about playing with them all the time or being there for them all the time. Just be real with them, be honest with them, and set a good example. Don't tell them about how great it is to feed the poor. Take them and feed the poor. They'll get the message a lot better that way. So I wish you well tomorrow. If you do have a dad, uh, appreciate that. I lost mine when I was very, very young back in 1974, and I, I miss him like it was yesterday. So. You never know how long your dad will be around. And you don't want to just say nice things about him at his funeral. You want to say nice things while he's alive to hear it. Because the dead hear nothing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Prince of all, Peace Yeshua. Yevarekha <laughs> Adonai Vihunecha Yesan I don't know hoi Hono Velecha Viasem Lecha Shalom Spa Shalom guys Stay tuned to Solace Radio